0: five-bedroom, four-story Georgian townhouse, situated on one of London's most elegant garden squares. With a letting price of £13,500 per month, the only thing scarier than its price tag is its long-standing reputation as London's most haunted house. Sound like the home for you? Well, if you're in the market for haunted house, you've come to the right place. I'm Caitlin Blackwell-Baines. Welcome to Haunted Homes. 50 Berkeley Square, London, part two of our tour of this famously haunted home in the heart of Mayfair will pick up right where we left off, with the death of its most notorious resident, Mr. Thomas Myers, in 1874. His passing may have gone largely unnoticed by his neighbours owing to the fact that the reclusive old miser was seldom seen by anyone, lending the shabby mansion an air of abandonment long before it was actually abandoned. Myer's property was left to his only surviving relative, a sister called Mary who lived in nearby Tilney Street. In keeping with the eccentricity he displayed in life, Meyer's will stipulated that the house should neither be sold nor let. Instead, he wished his sister to take up residence in his place. Given the state he'd left it in, she wasn't so keen, and so 50 Berkeley was left abandoned, properly abandoned this time for years. Exactly how long is a matter of conjecture? For even before Mr. Myers had properly vacated, the house was already the source of much speculation. Who, or what, if anything, lay beyond its darkened doorstep and dust-covered windows? A series of correspondence on the subject was published in the weekly periodical Notes and Queries beginning in November 1872, two whole years before Myers' death. "'Is there a house in Berkeley Square, London, with this reputation as I have been told?' asks one correspondent, writing under the initials D.A.B. "'It is quite true that there is a house in Berkeley Square, number 50, said to be haunted and long unoccupied on that account. There are strange stories about it into which this deponent cannot enter,' comes the response in a letter signed simply, Littleton." The author is almost certainly George William Littleton, 4th Baron Littleton, a conservative statesman and key player in the myth of 50 Berkeley Square. By the time he was writing to Notes and Queries, Littleton was clearly a firm believer in the haunting of Berkeley Square, though according to the Standard story, he started out as a staunch sceptic. The dark, dingy mansion on the otherwise immaculate square was the talk of London high society, and Littleton was determined to demonstrate to his gullible mates that it was nothing more than that. A house that appeared ominous on the outside, but that was actually entirely ordinary on the inside. Exactly when or how he managed to gain access to the house is a mystery, but he allegedly agreed to spend the night in the attic in order to prove that there was nothing lurking there within. Except, perhaps, Mr. Myers, who, as we've established, was still very much alive at the time of Littleton's correspondence. While supremely sceptical, Littleton packed his pistol all the same. Better safe than sorry and he was probably quite pleased to have done so, for when a brown, tendrilled, misty apparition advanced towards him, he was able to arm himself against the otherworldly attack. He fired a few rounds and was certain he'd hit his mark. Yet, when the smoke settled, it revealed only the spent shell casings and an empty attic. Lord Littleton could provide no explanation for what he'd experienced, and would later remark that the house was supernaturally fatal to both body and mind. So it seems... For only a few years later, in 1876, the formerly stoic and stable-minded statesman ended his own life by throwing himself down the stairs of his London home. This is one of several stories associated with 50 Berkeley, with similarly fatal finales. They all seem to have emerged towards the end of the 19th century, but the timeline is murky, with some of the incidents reportedly having occurred decades earlier, some prior to the time of Mr. Myers and some after. The best known is the story of a pair of soldiers on shore leave who unwittingly shored up at london's most haunted house in some versions of the story the sailors are given names robert martin and edward blunden of the hms penelope and even a precise date for their experience 24th of december 1843. on this cold christmas eve the two sailors spent the evening celebrating the season with plenty of spirits and as the night closed in on them, they soon realized they'd spent all their funds, including the money needed to purchase a room for the night, on drink. After wandering the dark streets for a time, they stumbled upon a large house which appeared to be vacant. 50 Berkeley Square, of course. Breaking in through a basement window, Martin and Blunden made their way to the top of the townhouse in an effort to avoid the rodent infestation at street level they eventually found themselves in the very chamber that Lord Littleton would one day hold his own pistol-wielding vigil. The sailors were armed too, but little use would it be in defense against the monstrous entity of 50 Berkeley. Instantly ill at ease in the room, Blunden felt as though he was being watched, but Martin urged him to ignore it, and soon the two seamen fell dead asleep on the cold, bare floor. Shortly after midnight, Blunden awoke to a sound the floorboards groaning under the weight of something slowly moving towards him. He woke Martin, and they both stared silently into the inky blackness of the room, wondering who or what was now in there with them. Martin spotted a glimpse of something grey just beyond the darkness and heard the muffled sounds of something large dragging itself across the room. And then they saw it. Martin later described the creature as a slithering, shapeless form with a large, gaping mouth. Blunden tried to reach for his rifle, but just as he put out his arm, the creature lunged for his throat. Martin ran from the room in fright, screaming at the top of his lungs, quickly drawing the attention of a nearby police officer. Though the policeman took some persuading due to the smell of alcohol in Martin's breath, the two eventually made their way back to the house, only to find the room empty. They began searching the house, room by room, floor by floor, for Blunden and whatever the creature was that attacked him. Finally, upon reaching the basement, they discovered Blunden's freshly slaughtered corpse, dismembered, his eyes bulging wide with untold terror. Well, if this tale sounds too terrifying to be true, there might be a reason for it. It has long been suggested that the story is a complete fiction, craftily woven by one Elliot O'Donnell an Edwardian author who just happened to publish a few fantasy novels prior to turning his focus to true ghost story books in the early years of the 20th century. Nevertheless, the odd specificity of names and dates lends the story some degree of believability. And yet, in other versions, these curious details change. The date is Christmas Eve 1887, or 1943, and sometimes there are three sailors instead of two, the third one jumping to his death to escape the hideous creature. Confusing matters further is the fact that there were no less than nine naval warships called the HMS Penelope between the years of 1778 and 1962, making these sailors even harder to pin down in time. What about other potential witnesses, then? Well, according to an 1879 issue of Mayfair magazine, new tenants had moved in to 50 Berkeley Square around this time, and heedless to the rampant rumours, Tempted to turn it into a respectable family home. The family consisted of a father and two teenage daughters, the eldest of whom immediately began complaining of a foul, zoo like smell emanating from the top floors of their new home. Shortly after moving in, the daughter's fiance, a Captain Kentfield, was due for an overnight visit. As the couple were not yet married, Victorian protocol dictated that separate sleeping arrangements were to be made. And so, a maid was asked to prepare a bed for the captain in a room on the upper floor. Yes, that room. Mere minutes after the maid had entered the chamber with an armful of fresh linen, an ear-piercing shriek shattered the staid silence of the ordinarily peaceful home. The family rushed up the stairs to find the inconsolable woman cowering in a corner. Don't let it touch me, she howled, don't let it touch me! Clearly driven mad by whatever she'd seen, The maid was never able to explain what it was that she didn't want touching her. She died in hospital the following day, literally frightened to death by the thing that lurked in the attic of 50 Berkeley Square. The family were naturally disturbed by all this, but Captain Kentfield was a steady, serious sort of man with no time for silly superstitions. Despite his fiancée's desperate protestations, Kentfield insisted on spending the night in the attic to prove to them that there was nothing sinister in their new home. Like Littleton before him, Kentfield packed his pistol and calmly mounted the stairs to the top floor. All was quiet for about 30 minutes. And then another ear-piercing scream, this time followed by a thundering gunshot blast. Once again, the family bounded up the stairs, only this time they were too late. Kentfield was already dead, his face frozen in an expression of abject horror. As with the others, this story is nearly impossible to substantiate, and it would be easy to dismiss it as just another work of fanciful fiction, except that, in this case, a contemporary with a loose connection to the family came forward to vouch for the story's authenticity. Writing in response to an 1889 article published in Castle's Saturday Journal, which aimed to debunk the haunting, a Devonshire poet by the name of Frederick Besett Doveton stated, This mystery has been seemingly explained away, but not to my satisfaction. I personally knew a lady who was acquainted with the fiancé of the ill-fated officer, and the latter confirmed to my friend the truth of the story. A tenuous link, perhaps. But what of first-hand accounts of the monstrous entity of 50 Berkeley? Well, there is one quite detailed description a vivid account of an unforgettable night spent at the house, which even comes illustrated with the witness's own hand-drawn sketch of the creature he claims to have encountered there. But it does derive from a slightly dubious source. Elliot O'Donnell, author of Haunted Houses of London, among some 30 other books on supernatural subjects, and the accused fabricator of the aforementioned sailor story. In the first half of the 20th century, O'Donnell developed a reputation as a leading expert on the subject of ghosts, and though he was never part of the preeminent Society for Psychical Research, he did occasionally work alongside its members and supposedly shared their mission to objectively investigate the paranormal. However, owing to his rather florid first-hand accounts, of which the Berkeley Square investigation is one, doubt has been cast on his objectivity. O'Donnell himself once explained that he was simply highly sensitive to supernatural energies, and therefore his dramatic experiences were but the product of his heightened intuition. In September of 1909, Tatler magazine published the third part in a series of O'Donnell's articles on real ghost stories. In this installment, dedicated to Berkeley Square, he begins by informing the reader that there are in fact two houses on the square that are reputed to be haunted. He doesn't provide specifics, redacting the street numbers of both houses in question, but it seems clear that the main focus of his article is number 50. The other day, I received a letter from a gentleman greatly interested in my work, O'Donnell recounts. Of course, I consented to an interview. It is always interesting to meet people who have had actual encounters with the superphysical. He agrees to meet with the man at a hotel, where he's regaled with a tale broadly similar to the ones we've heard so far. This man and his friend, a doctor called Leslie Merrick, hear of the haunted house on Berkeley Square and somehow secure permission to stay the night. They camp out in the attic. A hideous creature appears and proceeds to attack the doctor, whilst the other man flees into the street to get help. Only, the doctor doesn't die, or at least not immediately. He reportedly lost all his reason and a few months later developed internal cancer which proved fatal the man tells O'Donnell he has since learned that other people who have lived at the address suffered a similar fate. Now, hearing this, most people would determine to steer clear of the cancer-causing monster, but O'Donnell, of course, decides to investigate. As backup, he brings with him a big, comfortable-looking black cat. It was August 11th, O'Donnell recalls. The night was light, the weather warm, and Pussy soon settled herself snugly down on the bed which proved so fatal a resting place to poor Merrick, the doctor. Ten o'clock struck. A red glow stealing through the window pane illuminated the carpet. Eleven. Half past eleven o'clock. Then silence. A silence that intensified as midnight grew nearer. I was now assailed for the first time with fear, he admits. Well, just imagine how the cat was feeling. I had fastened poor pussy to the bed. She was there as an experiment cats are susceptible both to the superphysical and to sarcoma or cancer. I think today Mr. O'Donnell might have been called out for animal cruelty. After ages of this interminable silence, O'Donnell suddenly hears something. A soft tread crossed the hall and began to ascend the stairs. Overpowered by my feelings, I now sprang to my feet and pushing a chair in front of me prepared for the worst. Up, 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 four more steps, three, two, one, the landing, halfway across it, the door, my door, my god, it is entering, what is it, oh, what is it? Turning to the cat for confirmation, O'Donnell finds the poor creature in the greatest state of agitation, her hair bristling on end, her mouth wide open, her eyes all pupil. I am a psychic, O'Donnell informs us, ghosts inevitably show themselves to me, and I saw this one. What it was I cannot exactly say, save that it resembled a small man with a large head, bloated, distorted features, and eyes which defy description. They were larger and fuller than those of human being, yellowish, green, and wholly bestial. The mouth was merely a jagged slit, the head covered with a mass of matted, tow colored hair. There were no ears. Its body was nude, green, pulpy, unwholesome, beastly. More I cannot say saving that it crawled on all fours and had two additional arms instead of legs. The accompanying illustration, a crude black-and-white drawing attributed to the author, bears out these details. Well, O'Donnell didn't stick around much longer. With a monster distracted by the hissing cat, O'Donnell takes his chance to escape. I darted round the bed, I rushed at the door, I tore it open, and from that cancer-stricken house I fled for dear life. Apparently, O'Donnell managed to escape the monster's cancer-causing curse, for he lived another 56 years, dying at the age of 93 at a retirement home in Somerset. No word on the fate of the cat. So, there we have it. One of the last and most detailed accounts of the haunting of 50 Berkeley Square. Now, whether it remains haunted is anyone's guess. By the turn of the 19th century, the house had been bought by Lord and Lady Selkirk, and it was reported in a July 1896 edition of Hearth and Home magazine that the then-widowed Lady Selkirk was remarkably free from superstition, and when she took the house, laughed to scorn the idea that supernatural visitors haunted it. Her common sense was justified, for nothing uncanny has been seen or heard since her household took possession. She seems to have stayed in the house for decades, unbothered. How O'Donnell managed to gain access to her home to find the by now repudiated monster is a mystery. In 1937, the property was taken over by Maggs Brothers, antiquarian booksellers, who remained there until 2014. And for the most part, it seems to have stayed pretty quiet in the bookseller's 70 plus years of occupancy. Owner Ed Maggs even claimed to have debunked nearly every story about the property asserting that most of the details were borrowed from fictional ghost stories like Edward bulwer Lytton's The Haunted and the Haunters of 1857 and Rhoda Broughton's The Truth, the Whole Truth, and Nothing But the Truth of 1873. And yet, not all of his colleagues seem to agree. As late as 2001, one of the Maggs brothers' employees was reported to have been working in the attic when a brown mass suddenly slid from one end of the room to the other. A customer, who at the time was climbing the stairs to the attic, when his glasses were ripped off his face by an invisible force. However, since its conversion back into a stately single-family home in 2017, nothing further has been reported. So, has the monstrous entity moved on to another upscale address? Or does it simply lie in wait for its next victim? Looking for a luxurious pied-à-terre in the heart of one of the poshest parts of London? Long to own stationery with a Mayfair address monogram? Well, if money is no object, and you don't mind a monster or two, 50 Berkeley Square just might be the home for you. I'd suggest you leave the attic bedroom locked, and for heaven's sakes keep the cat out of there.